Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Thanks so much, Gabe. Thank you to you guys for um, allowing me to be here. I suppose you don't really have a choice. It was Gabe's call. But um, really appreciate the opportunity. Really appreciate the... Um, the, the relationship, the fact that we get to be friends, the fact that we are partnering, um, and all over South Africa, and uh, all for the sake of God's glory, all for the sake of the kingdom, it's what gets us up in the morning, and we are excited. So I really do appreciate um, the time that I can be here. Uh, I believe you guys are working through um, the book of Galatians, so I'm going to be preaching from Galatians this morning. Um, I don't know where you are in Galatians, but I'm going to Galatians 1, so you can turn with me if you have your Bibles, to Galatians 1, verse 1. Uh, I'm just going to read the first few verses. So it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as far as I'm going to read. What I really want to focus on for this morning is just the first three words, Paul and Apostle. Now, I think sometimes we just read these things because it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, intro, let's get to the meat of things. But I do believe that there's much richness in how Paul wrote his letters, and we can draw from something of his style as opposed to always just going to his content. But how he wrote his letters, it was an amazing thing. I mean, those days they would start with the name. You know, we write our letters, and then right at the end, kind regards, Paul. He started Paul. So it's Paul that's writing here. Hi, guys. Paul, an apostle. He kind of says, this is who I am. Um, This is what I'm about. And then goes straight into grace and peace to you. I don't know if you've noticed in all the letters that he writes, he always starts like that, grace to you. And then he always ends with grace with you. I don't know if you noticed that, like he, he, like those are the two brackets, grace to you and then grace with you right at the end. I think what he's saying is you come to salvation by God's grace and it's God's grace that we want to focus on. And that's how all of what is going down with you and why I'm writing to you as the church is as a result of God's grace. But please don't forget it because you've got to live with grace. So like my past, my parting words to you is grace with you. Like don't stop there. Let it always be a part of your life. Let it always be an overflow of your heart that God's grace is going to come out of you and that what you've received, you now dispense. Grace to you, grace with you. It's a beautiful way of writing. His style is amazing. So how he starts out with Paul, an apostle, I mean, it's quite significant that it's Paul, right? Because Paul was not always Paul. Paul was Saul. You've got to go into the history of this man's life to realize that when he says Paul, this is huge. Because he was Paul, uh, Saul, the guy that, that like he persecuted the church. He was the enemy of the church. He persecuted the church as Saul. He was a guy that murdered Christians, which is helpful for us because, you know, we kind of like, man, my life, am I deserving of God's grace? Well, the reality is none of us are deserving, but yet God saves us. And if he can save Paul, 
a guy who murdered Christians, who persecuted the church, and he could make him a soul, well, then none of us are excluded, really, which is why it's called grace. It's a beautiful reality. Paul. And Paul just it speaks about this incredible God encounter. An amazing God encounter. I mean, we, we know it was quite dramatic, right? It's like the, walking on the Damascus Road. We read about it in Acts. And, and, and God comes down and has an encounter with Paul. And he sees Jesus for the first time. And his life is changed. He goes from being Saul to Paul. And it's this dramatic, miraculous work. It's a, a divine deposit, like something from heaven that just comes down and turns his life completely around. I think sometimes we're a little bit jealous of that dramatic kind of God encounter, the, the dramatic conversion. It's like we also want one of those, like blinding lights. And But can I just say, like, that was one of very few occasions where it happens like that. You know, most of the guys, like Peter, it was a progressive revelation of like, this is how much God loves me. This is who Jesus is. It was like he was slow in getting it. So don't worry about how it comes. Just know that when it comes, it's miraculous. When it comes, it's God's work in you. He's changing who you are. And it's this incredibly miraculous uh, God encounter. And it's profound and it's deep and it's real. You know, in Ezekiel 36, it says this. This is God speaking. When this happens, this is what I do. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. You're not Paul. I've changed your life. New heart. My spirit is on you. You're a new man. New nature. New destiny. Everything about you has changed. You're Paul. You're not, you're not Saul anymore. And it's by God's grace, like I said. The other thing we've got to realize is that it's relational. It's not just miraculous. It's relational. Because it's not just a God encounter that we kind of have this thing that we get to talk about. It's like, oh, there was this time. We had this incredible God encounter, and, but actually it's a relationship. So God brings us into a relationship with him. It's a re- relational reality. In Galatians 4, he, Paul writes about God sending his son, and the reason why he, he sent his son is to redeem us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So he makes us sons and daughters. He's like the relationship is established. Saul became Paul, but Paul became a son in that moment. He became a child of God in a relationship with his heavenly father. I think sometimes we forget that. Like we just read about all of what Paul wrote. And this is this incredible theologian and a guy that just understood things and great revelation and what he imparted. But actually he was a son. He was a child of God. He, he came into a relationship with his heavenly father. And um, I wonder sometimes if we get adoption. I, I don't think we do. And, and I'm including myself. It's, this is the royal we. It's like we, un, we understand it theologically, I think, sometimes. Like we, we get closer to that reality than we get to it actually being ours. Um, and the reason why I say that is I, 
we adopted a little girl, and uh, her name is Rosie. And um, the kind of questions that we get and the kind of interactions that we have with people and people in the church, Christians. So these are people that should understand adoption, right? But the kind of interactions, and I know everyone means well. It's not like there's ill intent. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like, you know, kind of getting angry with people. It's just like the stuff that they say, it exposes their lack of what this is. So they'll say things like, um, where it's just myself and my wife, Antoinette, and Rosie, and the boys aren't with. So do you have any children of your own? I feel like saying... She is my own. Like, why is that even a question? I don't understand. Why are you living there? Like something new has happened. She's been born into our family. She's a child of mine. She is my own. It's, it's, I mean, it's like, I know what they mean. Like, is, have you got biological kids? But it's just there's like stuff that just oozes out. Like it's almost like you're adopted but not quite yours. You know what I mean? Um, and then the, the other one that we get often, or that I get, um, have you met her real mother? To which I want to say, yeah, I'm married to her. I know her very well. <laughs> like, why? This is her real mother. You're still living back there. Like, what? what's wrong here? This is her real mother. I'm her real dad. That's how I'm seeing it. How are you seeing it? It's interesting, eh? It's like, do we get it? Do we really get what's going down? This, this is my all-time favorite, where people say, like, kind of the conversation around Rosie adoption, and then it's like, um, yeah, you know, the thing that you guys are doing, so amazing. And then I'm like, <laughs> I don't, like, I'm not living in the, like, adoption zone anymore. Why are you saying, are you talking, if you're talking about all my kids and how I parent them, which I don't necessarily think is an amazing thing, but if that's what you're referring to, I can, like, potentially entertain that comment, but if you're talking about my daughter as though she's some kind of charitable project, like a person that I'm trying to give a better life to and open up opportunities, you're sorely mistaken. She's not, like, an initiative. She's my child. You see how those things like just creep in there, but it actually exposes like what's in our hearts and how we think, and and it's for that reason that I like I don't, I'm not sure that we actually get adoption. So when when God says to us, "I've adopted you," it's like yeah, I get that theologically, but I just don't quite feel it, and I I don't really know. Like yes, I receive it, but mm, what about that? And what about this? But when he says, I adopt you, he's saying, you're my child. You're my child. You know, the, 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 the courts get it right. So we get the letter when we adopted Rosie. And the letter, which is the judge's declaration, says something like this. Rosie Mpofu is now legally your child as born unto you. How's that for wording? That's the government. They get it right. Like the, the, the judge of the court, he understands adoption. It is as born unto you. That's how we regard her now. 
And we are born unto God. We are born of him. That's when he changes our heart. He puts his spirit. It's a spiritual birth. It's a new birth. We are now children of the living God. And we get to call him Father because he's brought us into a relationship. And he brought Paul into that relationship. No longer Saul, Paul. And with that, when you have a child and you're a parent, you get naming rights. Right? So you get to name your kids. That's one of the privileges. You know that God names us? See, we don't just get a new um, heart and a new nature and a new destiny. He gives us a new name. That's why with, with Rosie, she, I mean, we kept Rosie, but Rosie Mpofu became Rosie Quinlivan because her identity is now with us. It's no longer the old. There's a new that's taken place. And with that, a new name. That's why Saul became Paul. Why Simon became Peter. Why Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Because God's way is, when I make you mine, I give you a new name. A new name. Have you ever heard the or, or read the account of where David and Bathsheba, they named Solomon. Solomon's born, I mean, as a result of an adulterous setup. I mean, this is like mm, the fruit of like hectic sin. They call him Solomon, but in that moment, God steps in. He sends Nathan. He says, that's fine. You can call him Solomon, but I just want you to know that I have a different name for him. The name I have for him is Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. The fruit of that sin. He hasn't done anything. Like he's a baby. But my name for him. There's a heavenly name suspended over him. Jedediah. Beloved of the Lord. And we have a heavenly name. As born again believers. As those who have had this God encounter. Where we, we're in relationship with the Father. There's another name that's hovering over us. His declaration over us. Because he has naming rights over us. Because we belong to him. Revelation 2 verse 17 says this, I will give that person, speaking about those who are born again, a white stone with a new name written on it. You know the white stone in, in those times when they had like court proceedings? The outcome of the charge and, and what was brought against you and through the whole um, hearing, at the end of it, they would either give you a white stone or they would give you a black stone. Black stone meant guilty. Guilty as charged. Condemned to whatever penalty. If you got a white stone, it was your acquittal. It was not guilty. I declare you not guilty. In Revelation 2, God says, I give you a white stone because you're acquitted. You're not guilty by virtue of what my son has done in dying for you. But not only that, check your white stone because it's got a new name written on it. Jedediah, beloved of the Lord. Paul, no longer saw. So God changes everything about us. He'll go as far as changing our name 
And we might not know that name now, but we've got to know that in heaven, suspended over us, is a declaration of a father who loves his children, who loves us as children, who says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I have a new name for you. That's how much I love you. You're my child. I've adopted you into my family. You belong to me. You're mine. Paul. What follows is an apostle. So we've got to realize that there's something that God has for us in terms of how we live our lives. It's not just about coming into salvation by God's grace. It's then living out our salvation. So we don't have to do anything for our salvation. But our salvation, it, it, like, it lives out of us. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians, work out your salvation. Not work for it, work it out. Like what's happened to you, the grace that you've received, allow that to spill out into other people's lives. That's the profound reality of what happens when we have a God encounter. I do get concerned when people say, my, my Christianity is a private thing, just it's between me and God. You see, when, when God changes your heart, when he gives you a new heart and he puts his spirit in you and he makes you a new person, guess what? It goes public. It's not like you can keep that a secret from people. So we live our lives out by whatever God puts in front of us as far as the good works that he has prepared for us. And that's, I mean, Ephesians 2 says that. So we're saved by grace, not by works. You, you, you don't work to get saved. You just receive this free gift of salvation that comes to us by great grace, and, and, and we see, receive it through faith. And the very next line in verse t- 10 of chapter 2, that we are God's handiwork, and he, he has prepared good works for us. So there's something for us to do, but it's not to earn salvation. It's, it's not to come into this relationship. That is a done deal. We're not talking about a different reality in terms of what happens in our lives as we live out our salvation. And in Paul's case, it was an apostle. I don't think God's will for our lives is a secret thing. I do get concerned sometimes because Christians will speak about like God's will for my life as if that's the number one goal of a Christian is to find that out. It's not. Because he's revealed so much already, you know, it's like you're in a relationship, so it's probably a good idea to be in my word, because that's me speaking to you, and and pray, because that's you speaking to me, so we're in a relationship, that's what a relationship is, right? So I don't have to read my Bible, because uh, it's the right thing to do, it's something that I get to do, and I get to hear from God, and I get to pray and speak back to him, so this is, like, that's just obvious, I don't have to hear from someone that it's God's will for me to be in his word and to pray. It's just, that's already revealed. It's, it's, so get a job. Like, that's clear from scripture. It's not like a, you know, maybe which job that's specific to me, but to get a job and to, and to be good at it and, and to be a custodian of God's love and, and to do it well, we don't have to have bright lights and things like kind of disclosing that it's it's just obvious be a good husband be a good wife be a good parent you know love your neighbor it's like let's get to the great commission like go make disciples it's like man we've got more than enough to do so don't worry about god's will for your life he's already disclosed whatever you have right now do it whatever you do do it 
to his glory and for the sake of his kingdom and so that others can come into the same place of having an encounter with him and having their lives changed. I'll save you a lot of work. (laughs) It's already disclosed. But Paul, an apostle, he was an apostle. And the fact that it was by God's will, because it says, not sent from men, nor by a man. You know that sometimes, like, we always want to respond to what what another person wants to tell us, or or a man's view of things. And sometimes that man is me. So I'm going to do what I think God wants me to do. But actually, it's it's God's will. It's he sends, he commissions. And and when we get that right, I think two things happen. The one is we, we develop a robustness in us. Like, I can do this if it's God commissioning me. Like, if it's his work that he's prepared for me, well, then let me just do it. Because, you know, I can do whatever I need to do. But actually, the responsibilities of the outcome is his. So if I'm loving people, if I'm sharing something of his love and his goodness, just as I live my life out and as I'm in the workplace and doing what I do, like I don't have to convince anyone. He does the convincing. He's the one that changes the heart. He's the one that puts his spirit. So like how you came to know Jesus, it's going to apply for other people as well. It's not, it's not like something we've got to fabricate. We just live out what God has put in us, and allow the responsibility of the outcome to him. That builds a robustness in me. That gives me like a, yeah, I can do this. Because if it's up to me to convert that person, not only will that get really weird between him and me, but it's like, man, I don't have to, I don't have to go to those links where it gets weird. I just love him. I just share something of God's love with him. And as that happens, I'm going to trust that God will do the work which also allows for humility to come in because I know this is not me doing it. It's he's doing it. Here's the, here's the thing that I want to just go for this morning. And so we, we've heard Paul, God encounter. We've heard an apostle, God purpose. But the most insignificant thing in that phrase is one of the key things that we've got to get and that's that there's a comma between Paul and an apostle. Now you might say, okay, grammar, dude. No, no, that's a pause. That's a separating Paul, pause, and apostle. You notice how Paul never ever introduced himself as the great apostle Paul? He, I mean, he could have. If anyone could, he could have, but he didn't. So he'd write Paul, no longer Saul, Paul, son of God, loved by God, child of God, comma, an apostle. I'm sent by him, but I'm separating those two. And what Paul's basically saying is, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by by Jesus. I'm defined by being in him. That is so important for us to get. And I don't think that we do that well. So my encouragement this morning is to say to you, get the comma between who you are in Christ 
and what you do for him. We've got to get a pause between those two realities. Because when we start fudging them, things go south. It does. It goes south. Paul knew we're going to separate these two things. I'm a son. Before I'm a servant. I'm, I'm in a relationship before I even embark on whatever role God has for me. I'm a friend of God before we even get to whatever function I can fulfill. Paul, pause, and apostle. Separate those two. Got to keep those things separate. When Jesus got baptized, the account in Luke 3, it says, as Jesus came out of the water, a voice from heaven, it was the voice of the Father, said this, you are my son, whom I love in you, I'm well pleased. You know what the very next verse is? Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Do you notice that declaration of the father didn't come after he began his ministry? It came before. You're my son, whom I love, in you I'm well pleased. Comma, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Separate the two. Because God's declaration, the Father's declaration over Jesus is separated from anything that Jesus did on earth. And you know that when we have that God encounter, when we come to know Jesus, when we put our faith in him, we are in Christ and Christ is in us and all of him applies to us. All of what he has his inheritance, God's declaration over him becomes the declaration over us. And God's voice over us, the Father's voice over us is, you're my son, you're my daughter, whom I love. In you I'm well pleased. We need to get that. When, you know when we wake up in the morning and like your head's about to lift off the pillow? We, we need to get that declaration then. Before I've done anything, before I've had time with him, before I've done my devotions, before I've, whatever... The day holds when I can get that declaration over me and realize that it's got nothing to do with what I do. It's got everything to do with what Jesus has already done. Because I find that reality of God's love not on the merits of my own, but on the merits of another. And all of Jesus' righteousness is mine. The declaration of a father, you are my child. You're mine, adopted into the family. That we got to get before we embark on whatever work God has given us or prepared for us. Separate the two. You know what happens when we don't separate the two? This is like postmodern thinking. This is what we're faced with. Because postmodern thinking would basically say to us now, you can build and create your own identity. Whatever you do, like you shape it, you make, you, you make it yours. The gospel says you don't have to build an identity because it's already been established for you. And, and the only way we lay hold of that identity is by putting a comma back in. And who I am in Christ, comma, pause what I'll do for him. But when it's about what I'll do for him, we are in trouble. We really are in trouble. How we live our lives as a result of that understanding, it shapes us. So you do something, 
I mean, here's the problem. For you to have an identity, you need to know that you have value, right? And that only comes through validation. And, and you know you can't validate yourself un- unless you're Donald Trump. I'm fantastic. I'm amazing. Okay, but outside of that cookie world, you cannot validate yourself, which is what l- leads us to a place where we start to be very attentive to the words of others. And hoping for validation from others. Have you realized that? Like that's important to us. So how, how did I do? No one said anything. Like ooh, social media, a little bit quiet right now. And all you're wanting is approval. All you're wanting is likes. All you're wanting is, is people kind of saying, you're amazing, you're great. Because that validation, based on what you do, is the thing that gives you identity. It gives you a sense of, yeah, I'm all right. I'm doing well. I'm doing okay. But, but, but validation's got to come from the Father. We've got to have validation from Him. Then we don't need validation from anywhere else. My, my son, middle son, John, he was going to embark on his first um, athletics day, a sprint, whatever it was, 80 meters. And he was thinking out loud, voicing what was going through his mind the day before. And he started out with this notion of, hey, what if I come first? And it was like, ah, the glory, the whatever is going to go with that. But then he thought, man, what if I don't come first? What if I come second? Or third? Or fourth? Ooh, fourth. What if I come last? And the drama just started. He was like, oh, I'm not going to run anymore. The shame, the horror of potentially coming last. I said to him, John, come here, my boy. I was in the kitchen. I said, just come here. If, 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 I, if, if the potential for me to love you was measured by from my feet to my head, how much do you think I love you? Where? 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 Just like kind of show me. How much do I love you? He got up into a chair. He grabbed my arm, and he pushed it up. He said, that's how much you love me. I said, you're right. But now, let me ask you this. If you come first in that race... How much do you love me? I mean, how much would I love you then? Back onto the chair, put my hand up. I said, yeah. If you, if you come first in that race, that's how much I would love you. But let me ask you this. If you come last in that race, how much do you think I love you then? Back onto the chair, puts my arm way up into the sky. I said, you're right, my boy. Don't you ever forget that. And he walked out of that kitchen, chin up, chest out. My dad loves me. (laughs) See, that's validation from a father. So now it doesn't matter as we run this race what people are saying from the sides and whether they're cheering or whether they think we're good at what we do or, or if we're bad at what we do. It's all about validation from a father. We need to get validation from the father. You might ask, well, how do we get that? But I don't think that that's too difficult either because that comes in a place of devotion. I really want to encourage you. Don't don't just get into the buoyancy of being part of a church and being kept up by coming to meetings and being part of an incredible life kind of charged energy, 
You know that you can, you can live your Christian life buoyed with others. But deep down inside, you know something's missing. You know you don't have that, that deep, profound sense of who I am in Christ. It's just like I'm just buoyed with everyone else. But when you come to a place of devotion, which, I mean, that should be daily, right? That's why John Piper said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. You see, when you preach the gospel to yourself every day, it'll go something like this. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son to take my place, that I get all of the privileges of being a child of God as a result of him. And as the reality of that starts to happen, I think Romans 8 speaks about the Spirit testifying with our spirit. That's not us saying to the Holy Spirit, won't you please testify with my spirit? It's when we hear the gospel, when we mull on the reality of what Jesus has done for us and how the Father has saved us, how he's redeemed us, reconciled us. As we see it in the Word, as we pray it through, as we think it through, the Spirit moves in very quietly but very powerfully. And makes that real for us. That's where we get to call him Abba Father. The assurance of what we have. Our identity secured in Christ. Not in what people think. Not in what I do. I'm defined by something else. That's what Paul said. It's by grace that I am what I am. That's what defines me. I'm not defined by what I do. I'm going to separate those two. Paul, Paul's an apostle. We've got to find that comma in a place of devotion. You know, Dallas Willard will ask the question, how do you approach your devotions? And he's like one of the key guys to listen to when it comes to spiritual disciplines. You know what his response was? He says, I, I pray the Our Father, because that's what Jesus gave us, the Lord's Prayer. But I start by saying Our Father, and then I just wait there. I'm going to start praying it. Our Father. You're my Father. Because as you pray that and as you stay there, as you allow that, just you're mulling on it. Just how did this happen? How did I come into this relationship? There's this God encounter. God, God came into my life. He changed who I am. He gave me a new heart. He put his spirit in me. I'm a child of God. That's how I get to call you Father. And as you do that, so the Spirit comes in and testifies with your Spirit. That's who I am. It's not based on what I do and how I do. See, the problem, if it's based on what I do and how I do, that thing changes. So this year, I'm really good at my job, which means I'm great. Next year, I'm retrenched. Hmm. Now where's my identity? So it's wrapped up in what I do. Actually, no, it shouldn't be wrapped up in that at all. Paul, comma, what I do. Separate those two and find validation from the Father. We don't find validation in what we do. If you do, you're in trouble. And if you get it right, you know what ensues? Arrogance. And self-righteousness. Because look at me. This is what I get right. This is what I do. I'm an amazing worship leader. I'm an amazing teacher. Man, and I'm just doing all these wonderful things. But if you get it wrong, 
Instead of arrogance and self-righteousness, you have despair. I suck at being a Christian. I can't read my Bible. Every year I start with that Bible reading plan, and by January 17th, I've already skipped my first day. You all laugh because you've all done it. It's just that, ah, I'm horrible. I'm really not a good Christian. But that's because you're basing who you are on how you're living your life out when you actually should be basing it on who you are in Christ. We need validation from Him. And I think God is dedicated to us because sometimes He interrupts our lives. You ever felt like you've been T-boned? You know, like you're on a certain path and... You know, things are looking up and we're heading in a direction and then just all of a sudden something comes from the side. It's amazing how as Christians we always give the credit to the devil. It's like, oh, it's just an attack. Maybe, but actually probably more likely it's just God interrupting you saying, my boy, if you carry on the way you're going to carry on now, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in a problem situation. So I'm going to stop this now. I'm going to give you some time just to separate the two because you need to find your identity in who I've made you and who I am as opposed to who, what you do because you just go, go, go. He interrupted Peter like that. On the transfiguration, it's Jesus, Moses, Elijah. Peter looks at that and he's like, go, go, go mentality. And he's like, hey, Lord, what can I do for you? I can build shelters. I, I can maybe make a shelter for all three of you. He's like, I'm, I'm a fisherman, but I'm pretty good with my hands. I can do, I can do. You know what? Voice from heaven interrupts him. The voice of the Father says, this is my son. Exactly same thing. Because God's all about getting our identity right. And sometimes God will interrupt us, and other times God will bring about delay. Because if you're not going to bring the pause back in, he'll push the pause button. Got to separate those two. So my encouragement to you today is to live your life as someone who has been changed by God with a new heart, new nature, new destiny, new life. But you've also got a new purpose. But make sure we put the comma there. We've got to keep those things separate. Pause. Find the moments in your life to pause. Find the times where you can just devotionally spend time with God. Make sure that I'm finding my identity in the right place. And then whatever I do, well, I can't lose. Doesn't doesn't matter where I come in the race. I can't lose. I'm, I'm guaranteed success because of who I am in Christ. Paul, comma, an apostle. Put the comma back into your life. Amen.